welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond where we share our experiences of language learning with you, as well as the stories of other Australians and a few international guests who love learning, working with and communicating using other languages. I'm Penny. And I'm Beck, and we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today, the Wadarung people and the Wurundjeri people, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Now, Penny, we love having a guest with us. It's so nice to have people join us on Language Chats. And today we actually do have a guest from um, on the podcast who is an international guest, Yoshito Damon Shimamori. Thank you for joining us on Language Chats. Hello, and thank you for pronouncing my name properly. <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, how are you? <laughs> Very well, and we're, we're better to have you with us. Um, we're excited to chat with you today, and before we do get started, um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in language? Yeah. Uh, so, um, oof. Okay, I grew up bilingual, French, Japanese. Uh, so from the beginning, I had two languages in my life. Um, and I grew up in France and learning Japanese in um, Saturday school and then at school because I went to an international school. Um, then other languages came in because I learned them in school. So English, I learned it in school, then Spanish as well. Uh, now my wife is Korean, so... I don't really speak Korean, but I understand it because she she talks all the time with our sons uh, in Korean. Uh, so we have uh, we are living now in London, and we have two sons that are seven and nine, and our home languages are um, Korean, French, and English. And what else can I say? I'm a teacher. I teach languages. <laughs> I teach uh, French and Spanish. Uh, and I'm also an author, and I write specifically for multilingual children. That's that's um that's a pretty impressive uh, language biography that you've got there. <laughs> I love um the fact that your household at the moment is so multilingual. Did you say French, Korean, Co- and English? Were they the three that you said? Yeah. So we have. Three languages, so these three, and four cultures. So the fourth culture is the Japanese one. Uh, I'm passing on the French language to my sons, but not the language, uh, just because, well, for two reasons. Originally, I thought I could only pass on one language, so I chose French because I speak much better French. And the second reason, now that I know that we can pass on more languages than one, uh, it's more because... um, it takes time to pass on properly a language. And I thought, okay, already one language is difficult, so I stick to one. I won't introduce a second one. Um, Maybe later if they want to, but that's up to them. So good that you can carry on those things, well, pass those things onto your onto your children. I know that we have spoken to quite a few people on the podcast who have children and speak multiple languages. And passing on languages to your children sounds like it can definitely be uh, both a gift which you hope that your children will appreciate one day <laughs> yeah. um, but also that it can be very challenging how, how do you find that um, how, how do you find that amongst your household is it is it something that you find particularly 
challenging? Is it something that you really need to persist with, um, especially given the mixture of languages that that you find yourself with, I suppose, in your in your home too? Yeah. So the speaking side, uh, I would say. In terms of us being consistent, uh, it's fine. So because French is more natural for me to speak and I've been speaking to them since they were born, even before that, uh, speaking to them in French and my wife in Korean. So we can express ourselves easily, uh, but they, depending on the time of the year or what's happening, they tend to speak more and more English uh, back to us, but we stay in our languages. Um, and we don't force them too much to speak. We more try to see, okay, what can we do to make them want to speak our languages? So we have things like movie nights. So when we watch something in Korean, then just after they, they, they speak more in Korean, or right now my mom is visiting, and so she's Japanese, but she speaks to them in French. Um, so for them, the language of communication is French, so they speak a lot more French at the moment. Uh, so we try to create an environment that's going to make them want to speak um, our languages. So is it difficult or not? I guess it's a lot of thinking and planning, but um, well, it's, it's, it's doable. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. doable. Yep. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and also the fact that you and your partner clearly both want to pass on your home languages to your children and I think that's a really nice place to be and like Beck said, you never know what the future holds and what your kids will end up doing in the future with with languages and what other languages they might end up learning and, and, you know, discovering as well, which is also really exciting. Um. Beck and I discovered you on Instagram a while yeah. ago now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the work that you do on Instagram, kind of, I guess, yeah. promoting this multilingual parenting and and home environment that you've kind of created for your own family? Yeah. So I started on Instagram uh, just before, uh, just at the beginning of COVID, when the first lockdown started, I think, uh, mainly because I was more with my sons at home and I had more time. And I realized that, uh, so I wanted to share more about the way we raise our children with more than one language, uh, because I think it's something that people often wondering. And I grew up myself bilingual. So I have this both like dual perspective on the situation as me as a child uh, at one time, and now as a parent, uh, trying to raise multilingual children. Um, yeah, so I started with this, and then it was the time where, when my son, my eldest, started to read and write in French. So I started to talk about this, and so it's, I, I would say, like 80% is about literacy. Uh, how to raise our children multiliterate, not just multilingual or multicultural, but multiliterate. Uh, and yeah, so then I realized that many people wanted to do that, but they didn't know how to do it. And again, because I grew up myself learning to read and write in Japanese in a country where it wasn't the main language, so in France, uh, I have some 
I had some idea how to do it. And also because I'm a teacher, I know quite well how to prepare activities to engage children. So I thought I would, I would put out like what we do. Uh, so our journey on, on Instagram and so that people can pick it up if they, if they need help with that or if they want to share how they're doing it as well. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing that you do. And also, I um, really enjoy that you have made that distinction between um, people or children um, being multilingual, multicultural and multiliterate. Um, yeah. I think that probably that is something that often gets very muddied in the waters, um, especially these days, many, many people are multicultural and multilingual and potentially multiliterate to a point, um, depending on where you live, what your cultural and linguistic background may be, um, the backgrounds of your parents and the community that you live amongst. Um, but that distinction is is really interesting to think about. I don't think I've ever really thought about it in that way, um, that there is, of course, many, many cultural factors at play. There is the idea that you may have language, other languages in your life, but then being physically literate, um, yeah. both being able to, I guess, produce and also comprehend um, yeah. other languages as well as and how that all fits fits together. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very rich picture um, of, of how language can come into life. Yeah. And I think I, I wanted to, so since my, before my sons were born, when we, when my wife was pregnant, I, I knew that one big thing I wanted to do is to have them become multiliterate as well. That's because when I grew up, it was quite a difficult, painful journey um, to learn to read and write in Japanese. So I went to a, an international school where I had lessons in Japanese uh, as well as in French, but I was learning this every day, but because I was out of context, so I wasn't living in Japan, it was really just academic. And I didn't really like it. I didn't see the point of learning to read and write in Japanese. I thought it's nice when I go to Japan to be able to understand everything, but I thought like, is it really bringing me that much? Do I need to put that much effort uh, into this? Like, is it, is the effort worth it? And I didn't really see the effort. So I can really see that for my son, it could be the same thing. Uh, so I want to make sure that they, so I know the benefit of being able to read and write, uh, but I, I don't want to tell them it's going to be useful. I want it to be relevant for them now. Uh, so I do it in different ways through games, etc., so that they find it relevant and they want to, to carry on reading and writing on their own. Um, yeah, so since they were born, I had this objective, this goal of making sure they can read and write, but also that they can enjoy the journey. Not that it, it feels like a chore and they have to learn it, but they, they are doing it because it's bringing them something else. So like reading books in different languages and loads of other things they can discover later. In your professional life, because you're, you are a languages teacher by by profession, yeah. how do you kind of incorporate, I guess, these ideals into the classroom? And is that a big, I guess, a big motivation for you to bring joy and fun and motivation to your students who you're teaching French yeah. and Spanish, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think 
uh, the way I'm doing it with my sons actually came from my training as a trainee teacher because I went to a university where they were teaching they were uh, teaching us how to teach languages uh, and to make it purposeful. So not, not okay, we're going to just uh, learn to conjugate verbs or learn to make sentences uh, for the sake of it, but making it purposeful for the children now uh, and helping them want to speak the language now, not thinking, okay, if I learn to say this, I'm going to be able to use it if I go in the country, which might happen years down the line for some. Um, so the main way we were taught to do it was through games and through team competitions. Um, so for example, one big rule there is in the classroom is that uh, if they speak in English, uh, the other team gains points. But if they speak in Spanish or in French, uh, they gain points. And so that, and we do that for everything. So it could be, can I have a glue? Uh, or it could be, oh, the other team is cheating or anything like that. That's relevant for them that they want to say. And then all the things they learn to say in this context, like she's uh, cheating or I need a glue, etc., we transfer it to other, other things they want to say. So because they've learned it in context, it sticks better in their mind. And then it's easier for them to replace words in the sentence uh, to, to say other things they want to say. That's so good. Love a bit of healthy competition in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the other projects that we know that you've been working on, Yoshita, um, is yeah. a new book. Um, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that book and what the purpose is behind it? Yeah. So it's a bilingual graphic novel uh, that's adaptable to any home language. Uh, and so the the idea came from the fact that I want my sons to be able to read and write in their home languages in a purposeful way so that they see why they would write and they want to write. And I thought, okay, what can make my son? So it was at the time my eldest. Uh, I was trying to find things to do for him to write. Uh, and I have published my previous book where there were loads of ideas, but it demands some preparation time. So I thought, can I do something that, that's going to be less demanding from the parents or the teachers? Uh, they could just hand into the child to, to write. And writing was the main focus because I thought for reading, it's quite easy. I just need to find a fun book and my son is going to read it. Uh, but writing, it, it, it's a bit more difficult. So can I create something that's going to make my son want to write? And then by extension, all the children as well want to write. Um, and so this story is not just to write in, uh, it's also for the child to discover a bit what it means to be bilingual, multilingual, uh, and and to, to have a reflection on their own uh, multilingual upbringing. Um, and so, for example, uh, the... the main thing about the story is that the the main character is a girl who grew up bilingual but along the the line we don't know how but she started to not speak her dad's language to forget it uh, and so when we meet her at 14 years old uh, she barely understands her dad's language so when she goes to her dad's family on holidays she doesn't really understand what's going on around her she's a bit 
um, isolated. And, and then, so the, the journey of this girl is that how we go from here to her again, wanted to speak and to connect with her family uh, in her home language. So the language that she lost. And so the title is In Search of the Lost Words because she lost this language and she's rediscovering it uh, throughout um, a time travel adventure. So she goes back in time as well uh, to help her grandpa and her great-great-grandma uh, to save the family land and also to save the great-great-grandma who's been poisoned by bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a, it's an adventure and uh, on the surface it just looks like an adventure, time travel adventure, but behind this, there is this message about what it means to be bilingual, what can motivate a child to want to speak again and to connect with their family. Um, in terms of connection, the main, I think, main message hidden behind all this action is uh, that a language is more about connection with people than accuracy. Because sometimes when children don't speak very well, they, they start not wanting to speak the language because they're going to feel judged. Uh, and I wanted to, to take that away and say, no, if you, whatever you can say is going to help you connect with your grandparents, with your cousins, etc. So say what you can, play with them. And then with this fun, they're going to be wanting to speak more and then they're going to improve on their accuracy. So accuracy is after, it's a consequence. I really like what you're saying about you know, language is more about connection, not necessarily, yeah. you know, how accurate and, and beautiful that you sound. Um, so have I got this right? So the book is designed for any family, any child to pick it up, no matter what their home language is. Yeah, that's it. So, so I, one, one thing I didn't mention is, so for example, there are, there are different versions, but let's say for people in Australia, uh, they would pick up the English version that would be written in English. So everything that the main character says uh, is written in English. But when people around her speak in the, her home language, the speech bubbles are left empty with uh, annotation or keywords that are around the speech bubble. And that represents how she understands the situation. So she she doesn't speak very well the language, so she can pick up a few um, a few words here and there, and then with the situation, she's making up the the meaning of the of the sentence, um, and this is what the the reader needs to write. So the right reader contributes to creating the story, and that that's what's making the making them want to write. So it's they have ninety percent of the story with all the illustrations, the actions going on, and all the English things that are written. But to get the full story, they need to write in the in the home language. So to complete the speech bubbles from the from the other characters. I really like that because that's that's really about individualizing the experience that the reader is having with the book as well and making it yeah. really level appropriate too. That so someone who is yeah. beginner level can still have a go yeah. and do it because beginner level person can you know make the speech as complex or as simple as yeah. they need it to be. yeah it's a great concept and yeah i was i had in mind that my sons for example they're they two years apart so they don't have the same 
skills. They, they can't write, my youngest can't write as much as uh, my eldest, but they can both write what they can in the speech bubble and see make a full story. Uh, and also, yeah, one thing I didn't mention either is it's not just about the language, it's about the culture. So uh, there are parts of the illustrations that are left empty. So the, at some point, the, the two main characters that are walking uh, just next to a film and the, the reader would maybe say, okay, or the parents would say, oh, but what do we have in our country in a, in a film? Or for example, if it's in Korea, it would be a rice field. Uh, but if it's in France, it would be wheat. Uh, so it depends on the country. They could think, oh, yeah, that's, that's what's typical of my grandparents' country or where my mom comes from, my dad comes from. Uh, and there are loads of little, um, little opportunities to talk about the culture. So, for example, this uh, field, there could be objects that are uh, displayed on a, on a shelf in a room or it could be uh, a painting. So for example, famous painting from that country. So there are loads of different opportunities to explore the, the culture in a, in a way that, that's relevant for children. So when I talk about children, for example, at some point the, gran the grandpa who she meets back in time, so he's eight years old, so it's a child, and he gives a sweet to uh, Anna, who is the main character, uh, but the, so we see the hand, but inside it's empty. So it's the child to to draw the item to the sweet that, for example, uh, their grandpa would have been uh, eating when they were children, uh, and that would differ from one country to another. So yeah, there are, there are loads of things for children to discover their own cultures uh, through the illustrations as well. Okay, wonderful. Such a, a really good idea and a really interesting way, I think, to provide both the learner, so probably the child, and their parents who are assisting yeah. them um, or whoever it is that is helping them learn um, yeah. with prompts along the way so that they are given kind of legitimate and visible um, prompting of language. Um, yeah, a really, really cool concept. So well done. Um, <laughs> and we'll you. make sure that there is a link in the show notes so that you can find um, Yoshito's book um, if this is something that you think might be useful to you or to somebody who you know. Uh, one thing, so because it's so adaptable, uh, there are lots of schools that have been interested in it. So schools where they have uh, children coming from different different backgrounds, so different countries, different uh, cultures, languages, because it, it brings their home languages in the school it starts. It can start a conversation uh, amongst the, the students to see, oh, ah, yeah, in my country it's like this, but in your country it's like that, and yeah, so it can be very useful in schools as well. Great to know for for all the teachers out there as well. <laughs> Love that. Um, so another thing that we were going to ask you about, um, Yoshito, was that your we've noticed on your Instagram feed that it is filled with collaborations um, with other language learners and other teachers and other sort of language advocates or language learning advocates out there around the world. Um, what do you really enjoy about engaging with other um, with I guess the broader language community is is this something that have you have you discovered that along the way when did you start yeah. interacting with other people on the internet about this so I think it's really so what I, I, I get out of it is really the community feel 
because sometimes we can feel like we are on our own on this journey with our children. Uh, but then when we discover that other people are doing the same thing, having the same challenges, uh, it's really nice to, to exchange with them um, and to have ideas and also to give ideas. And I think that's one reason I started it is was to give ideas to others. But what I got out of it was really the community feel like, okay, I'm not on my own on, uh, in this. There is this whole world uh, of people who are doing the same thing and going through the same experience. So, yeah, it's really, it feels good to feel that we're not on our own, especially in countries, I guess, where that, that are more monolingual. Uh, if, if you're living in a, in a part of the country that's really monolingual, you don't get that kind of support right next to you. So having this support online is really helpful. We are also big advocates for a language learner, language lover community. Um, and, you know, online just makes it so much more accessible and easy and convenient yeah. for everyone anyway. And we're very lucky to be able to do that, do that now. Um before we before we wrap up, and we're so grateful for the time that you've given us today, um, <laughs> I just had a very kind of like impractical kind of question. But in your in your house, are you speaking English to your wife and French to your children, and then does she speak Korean to uh, your kids, or how does yeah. how does that work? Sorry to go backwards. <laughs> that is fine. Uh, so I met my wife in France, and she so she lived there for eight years, so she speaks fluently French. So we've always been speaking French together. Uh, I speak French to my sons. She speaks Korean to them. I don't really speak Korean. So whenever there is a family conversation, it's really like all languages mixed together. Uh, they and uh, between them, it's always, uh, not, not always, most of the time in English. And to us, it's generally in French and Korean, but they mix a lot of English as well. Uh, yeah, but we, so I'm the only one who doesn't understand the three languages. So I understand French and English, but Korean, I can't work it out. I can't work out what they say from the situation, from the, the keywords I get, like, like Anna in the book. Uh, and, uh, and, but my wife and my sons, they understand everything. So they, they just speak in the language they, that's easiest for them. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great fun a very fun household I have to say and if you ever if you ever decide to just like record a family conversation (laughs) over dinner um you know something that is I don't know something something every day or really relaxed I don't know I think I think we would love to see that I think I've done it because my my mom is here at the moment and I speak Japanese with my mom so there is there there were four languages in the conversation so i can't remember when i started recording it but the same was thinking oh that's so cool like the four languages so i wanted to record it and but yeah i I can't remember when i started when i finished but there are four languages in there Uh, it's like a like a language lover's heaven yeah yeah Oh, thank you, Yoshito. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Before we say farewell, um, if people listening would like to connect with you online, where should they go? Where's the best place to find you? 
so first, thank you very much for you two for inviting me. Uh, I really appreciate this conversation. Uh, and uh, so where to find me um, on different platforms? So I'm on Instagram uh, under multilingual underscore dad. Uh, then I'm on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is just my name, Yoshito Dorman Shimamori. Um, and what else? I have Twitter and but I don't really use it. So no, just these three things. I have also a YouTube channel, uh, two YouTube channels, actually. Uh, one that I share uh, with uh, Ute limacher Hibolt, uh, who is a language consultant um, and intercultural specialist. And it's called uh, Activities for Multilingual Families. So it's uh, a, sh a channel where we share different activities to foster our languages in a fun way. And another one called Library for Multilinguals. Um, so library for the number four and multilinguals in one word. And it's here I just talk about multilingual literacy, uh, give ideas and fantastic well we'll make sure that again that is in those details are for you in the show notes um if you are interested in finding out more about yoshito and his work um and what he has been doing on the interwebs um all these things that he's sharing um to help many other multilingual families out there so thank you so much again yoshito for joining us today merci beaucoup um, arigato Ooh, gozaimasu. Wow. um we are very happy to have you with us and thank you for joining us on language chats Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Language Chats. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you share it with your friends and family who may also find it useful. Um, also, if you get a chance, please don't forget to leave us a rating and review. We love hearing from you. And if you would like to join our community as well, then you can join the Language Lovers AU community on Facebook. That's where we all get together and chat about things language, um, chat in kind of the internet sense, I guess, you know, posts and shares and comments and stuff. Um, and then also, if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at languagelovers.au um, and you can find us there. And then, of course, um, we do have an old-fashioned website at languagelovers.com.au. Thanks. Thanks, Yoshito. And thanks, everyone. Catch you in a fortnight. See you next time. Thank you.